So on Wednesday night, we began a nine-part sermon series called Amazed and Afraid, The Adventure of Following Jesus. And what we're going to be looking at through the season of Lent is chapters 10 through 16 in Mark's Gospel. One of the places that I have found solace, if you will, in this contentious time in which we live, this time that seems to have an invitation to anxiety in almost every place we turn and look, irrespective of what our views are. It seems like the common experience we all have is being invited to be anxious and fearful about things. But in this contentious age, one of the places of solace that I have discovered is in really the reading of history and knowing something about history, knowing a bit about what has happened in the past can actually normalize some of the crazy present. And it tends to calm me down a bit that we have been over these paths before. Not that that's all that assuring because the paths have not been all that good for us. (laughs) But it is good to know that, that we're not the first to engage much of what we're engaging. There's a strange kind of comfort in remembering that we probably will repeat some of our old mistakes, like the proverbial dog. I love this in the Proverbs, where the, the writer of Proverbs says, like a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. Those of us that are dog owners know exactly what this means. And it is an alarming and funny and very true depiction of what our response often is as we read about it in history and see ourselves returning again and again and again to that which we have regurgitated and will not nourish. And one of the big mistakes that we make as human beings throughout our history irrespective of the time and place, is our delusion about power and what it can give us. The idea that getting and maintaining earthly power will be our best protection is what I'm talking about. That somehow if we can get on top of it all, we can control everything else and then everything will be okay. And, and this is true for us whether we aspire to be president of the Garden Club or the current dictator of Russia. We like to get up there and convince ourselves that the delusion that we're in charge is making everything okay. And we forget the message, the chilling message of Psalm 2 that Krista read earlier for us today, that the Lord laughs at these feeble attempts of princes and kings to become gods and try to overthrow God. And so I read with interest this week, yesterday, as a matter of fact, about the the yachts of Russian oligarchs. I don't know whether you saw this in the business section in the Seattle Times, but the yachts of Russian oligarchs are being confiscated by various governments that have imposed sanctions upon Russia. And there was this beautiful, massive yacht somewhere in France that was in the picture. And, and basically, the French have just 
taken it over before they were able to take it to some other place where it wouldn't be taken over. This massive luxury yacht was seized in France, and, and it, it's just such a perfect example of what I'm talking about, that the, these oligarchs in Russia who know that they won't have ultimate authority of being the guy on the top, but can have a pretty secure life if they stay to his right or to his left, and keep themselves in comfort and become part of the buffer that also keeps him in power. And yet, even on the right or the left side, it's not really enough power. Even though it feels like enough power at certain points, it's also not enough power because the government of France can come and take your yacht. And it's this issue of the right and the left side that I want to talk about. The right and the left side of power is, is kind of the key image of our text today. James and John come to Jesus right after his passion prediction. I hope you all caught that irony. If, if the Bible writers used emojis, they would have used the eye-rolling emoji right after what James and John said because it's just so patently absurd in light of what Jesus has just shared with them that he's going to be killed on a Roman cross. And that that's the glory that they are going to in Jerusalem. But they are anticipating something else. And they come to him with this request. Please let us sit on your right and your left hand. And in our minds, we're reading this passage. And it's like Jesus, the bubble over Jesus' head is, what part of what I just said didn't you get? But in all fairness to James and John, there's some reason for them to believe this is an appropriate request because this journey toward Jerusalem is coming to a conclusion. Jesus has said big things are going to happen there. Their expectations based on their reading of their own tradition is that uh, this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem will be a victory march, a triumph. And Jesus will be established as the new king of the Jews who will throw out the Romans. And so they come to this conclusion that we better get our word in about where we want to be in the administration. Let's get our job set and Jesus, we like to be at your right and your left. You know, I mean, and, and there is some reason for them to assume that they might have that role because when it came to the Mount of Transfiguration a few chapters earlier in our text, Jesus took with him kind of a, a group of three who was the more inside group than the group of 12. You know, Peter, James, and John went up the Mount of Transfiguration with him. So they were chosen to for that special thing along with Peter and something was now happening and they were wanting to secure their place in it. But Jesus is gentle in response, direct, but, but gentle, and maybe still a little too obscure for them. It's hard to tell. But essentially, Jesus' reply to them is, I, I, I'm not sure you really know what you're asking for here. I, I don't think you're quite getting it. So he doubles down and he tries once again and he says, can you be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized and, and can you drink from the cup from which I drink? And, and there's all sorts of levels of meaning in this 
question that he asks them, but essentially what he's asking them in that moment, are you identified with me? Can you be identified with me? And can you partake of the same things that, that I'm partaking? Can you join me in a baptism, as Paul says, unto death, or drink from the cup of sacrifice that I am going to drink? What Jesus is talking about is death and resurrection, of participating in both of those things with him. And they say yes, and then he says, well, okay, then you will, but it's not mine to give you my right or left side next to the throne. I don't really have that authority, and and I won't, after all, really have a throne. But if I have one, It's a Roman cross. And do you want to be on the right and the left side of that? So I'm going to ask Thad to put up an image up here. I think I've probably shown this before. It is the crucifixion altarpiece from Matthias Grunewald's Eisenheim altarpiece. It's a three-part thing that folds. It's a massive piece of art. But this crucifixion piece is something that has kind of taken hold in the church's imagination since it was painted. It's one of the more wretched pictures of the crucifixion and one that that represents the place in which it hung, which was a hospital for plague victims. And so the body of Christ bears some of the same symptoms as those plague victims with the spirating sores all over his body. And you have those horrid, tortured fingers of his hands on the cross that is matched only by the finger of John the Baptist who is on Christ's left on the right side of your frame pointing at the cross as he holds open his prophetic book and the weeping mother in white, Mary, Jesus' mother, uh, being held by John and, and either Mary of Bethany or Mary Magdalene kneeling at the foot of the cross. But who's on the right of this particular depiction of the crucifixion is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who now knows at this point exactly what Simeon meant when he held her infant in the temple and said, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. And on the left is John the Baptist, and we know how his story ended with a severed head, a head cut off for witnessing the truth. So the church depicts the right and the left, uh, the places for whom it is reserved, go to two great sufferers of the implications of participating in the story of Jesus. The ones that flank the cross, the throne of the Lamb of God, are Mary and John the Baptist in this artistic description. And what they do is give witness to the truth that in the kingdom of God, power is not measured by money or might, but by faithfulness and love. Paul says it well in 1 Corinthians 1, and I want to read that again for us. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. In other words, it's a crazy counterintuitive kingdom that we're a part of. Where a cross, an instrument of execution, is the throne. And the choice to give up power is the way to be exalted. Bottom line, it's called love. And nothing can overthrow it. Let's pray. It's that wondrous love we want to behold, O oh God. Help us to do so and to let the light of your love shine on us in such a way that we can reflect it and share it with our world. For we pray in Jesus' name, the one who is love. Amen. Amen.